that we do take God's word seriously. We study God's word recognizing that it is his word. It is the, the true inspired word of God. It's as if, it's as if he spoke his word into, into the pages and that they're speaking to us directly. It is his revealed will for our lives. So we need to take it seriously. When we study tonight, I pray that you guys would have hearts that would be ready to. Tonight we're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we've been in this book, obviously, for, for 12 chapters. And we've seen a lot of the things in the church a lot of the things that are, are wrong with the church, you know, they've, uh, they've sent a letter to Paul, and Paul's responding to a lot of the things they had questions on. And he's even encouraging them, correcting them, giving them guidance in the things that, that they need guidance in. And the church today can receive the same instruction that the church at Corinth there was receiving. I mean, we need correction. We need instruction. We need all, everything that is written in this book. And we need to take the word of God seriously. And there are those that, that misunderstand the word of God misunderstand the things of God. We need to pray and ask God for, for wisdom, ask him for understanding when we read the scriptures. I mean, before we get into the, tonight's chapter, I heard a story of a, of a little boy. He's about five years old, and he goes to spend the night at his grandma's house. Uh, grandma's a Christian, loves the Lord, fears God, and she goes to church every Sunday. So while uh, her little grandson, Johnny, five years old, is over at the house, he goes to church with her. So Johnny, five-year-old, goes to church, goes to Sunday school. You know, he makes his little, his little thing that they make in Sunday school. And he comes out from church, and his grandma's like, well, let's have a, it's a beautiful day. Let's go to the park, Johnny. He's like, yeah. Gets all hyped up. He's going to the park. He gets to the park, the playground. He's swinging on the swing, sliding down the slide. And grandma, she's over there looking just at the, the landscape, just the horizon, the sun, just looking at, at God's beauty and looking to impart some kind of spiritual wisdom to, to Johnny says, Johnny, come over here. So Johnny hurries up and runs over there. Yeah, Grandma. She's like, do you see all of this? Do you see all this beauty? Yeah, Grandma, it's, it's beautiful. She's like, you know, God made this just for you. And he's like, yeah, I know, Grandma. She's like, you do? He's like, yeah, that's what they taught us at Sunday school. God made it all for me, and he made it all with his left hand. She's like, what? He made it all with his left hand. You sure you heard that at Sunday school? It's like, yeah, Grandma. The teacher said that Jesus is sitting on God's right hand, so he had to make it with his left. <laughs> I'm glad you guys laughed. Yes. <laughs> now, just like the little boy Johnny, he could, uh, sometimes we get things mixed up, but the one thing that we, we should not get mixed up is the word of God. And when we have questions, we need to pray and seek God for, for understanding. And tonight, we're getting into spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts and then the, uh, the using of these spiritual gifts and the function of the body of Christ, the church. So before we get into tonight's chapter, would you guys uh, join me in a word of prayer? Father, we, uh, we come to you now, Lord, recognizing that, that you are a giver of good gifts, Lord, that you love us. We are your church. We are the body. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for calling us into this relationship through your son, Jesus. Lord, and now as we open up the pages of scripture, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that that you would illuminate truth, that we would have a good understanding, a a great understanding of what it means to be spirit-filled believers, what it means to possess the gifts of the spirit. Lord, and that we would rightly exercise these, not for our own glory, but for your glory and for the furtherance of the kingdom and for the edification of the church. So, Father, I pray that you, would, that you would even empty me now, that you would fill me with your spirit, Lord, and that everything that comes across from this microphone would be of you. And if it's not, Lord, I pray that it would fall on deaf ears. So, Lord, we thank you. 
We look forward to just you manifesting yourself here tonight. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're with me, let's, uh, let's just start reading. Verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there real quick. First verse, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, how many of you guys have a New King's translation or New King James version? Raise your hand. Cool, cool. If you notice in the New King James translation, that word gifts there, you see it's italicized. It's like bent over kind of leaning. That is used as a tool to, to show that that word is not in the original manuscript, but it was added for clarity and just from the context of the passage that it was added for just for clarity and to give context. So it's saying now concerning spiritual gifts, if the word gifts not there, it would be concerning spirituals or spiritual things. So Paul's addressing spiritual things here. And he talk, talks about what that includes, and that includes gifts in the body of Christ. But he says now concerning spirituals, Okay, spiritual things, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant. I mean, we don't want to be ignorant of the things of God. We don't want to be ignorant of the, 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 the gifts that God has for us, the spiritual things that God has for us. And, you know, just as a side note, Paul, in his letters, in his, uh, his letters to the churches, he reminds three times, he says, he used the exact word, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, once in uh, Romans eleven twenty five. In regards to God's plan for Israel, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. And in here, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual things or spiritual gifts. And then again, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the second coming of Christ. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want the church. The church should not be ignorant of these things. We should be mindful of these things. We should take heed to them and understand these things. But here, he says that he does not want us to be ignorant of spiritual, of spiritual things. Uh, in verse 2, he says, you know that you were Gentiles. Okay, when he, say, when he says Gentiles here, I mean, majority of us here in this building would be considered Gentiles as far as our bloodline is concerned. But when he says Gentiles, he's referring to, uh, to pagans or to unbelievers. He says that you know that you were once unbelievers. You know that you were once pagans and that you were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led He's painting the picture. I mean, when you hear the word dumb, a lot of people just think of, like, ignorant or stupid. But dumb, I mean, it means to be mute or to be without speech. He's referring to these idols and saying that these idols can't speak to you. You remember that you were unbelievers and that you followed after these, these false idols or these, these dumb idols that can't even speak to you. And he says, however you were led. We recognize now as believers, us as Christians, that we follow a true and living God who does speak, who does move, who does perform miracles, who does work by his, his spirit. I mean, I remember one time, I, just recently, I was talking to my coworker, and uh, we were just talking about, like, you know, our futures and what things we want to do. And I was like, you know, I just can't wait to get out of debt because, you know, I want to just be able to go whenever, whenever the Lord leads me. If he would call me to the mission field, I would want to go to the mission field. He's like, what do you mean God would call you to the mission field? Like, how, God got your phone number or something? I'm like, like, I guess, yeah, in a sense, he does. He's like, is that a weird thing? I, I asked him, is that a weird thing that, that God would communicate to me, that God would speak to me? And he kind of looked at me kind of funny. I was like, I guess not. I mean, he's God, right? I mean, he's an unbeliever. 
But at the same time, we need to recognize that, that God does speak to us. God can communicate with us, and we can communicate with God. We don't follow dumb idols. We don't have a God who is silent. We have a God who is living and moving and will speak to you just as he would speak to me. Primarily, the way he speaks to us is through his word. So we need to spend time in his word. That's the reason why we, we do this Bible study, that we encourage everyone to read a, a chapter a day, at least a chapter a day, and just ask God to speak to you. Ask God to speak into your life, that he would reveal himself, that he would show you something new, that you would be used of him, that you would know him in a, in a more intimate way. Verse 3, he continues and says, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying here? Well, he's, he, if we look at the context of verse 2, he says that you were pagans, that you, were, you followed dumb idols, you used to do these other things. Now, he's saying that I make known to you, in light of that, that the pagans, they worship a, a false god. He's saying that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, a, new belie- a, a believer, someone who is endowed with the Spirit of God, cannot, is not going to say that Jesus is a curse. Basically pointing out that, that the fact that the Spirit will not contradict itself. Jesus was not a curse. There was a, a belief at that time in, in some Gnostic circles that, that Jesus wasn't a perfect man, which we know is a, is a heresy, is a, is a blasphemy, that Jesus was the perfect man and he died. But they would say that Jesus, he, uh, he ceased to be God and he, he was a curse. He ended up dying and he, he died just like any other man. They clearly were not speaking by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God will not contradict the truth of Scripture, the truth of, of, of the gospel, that Jesus was a perfect man, that he did live a perfect life, and that he died the perfect death so that we can have salvation, so that we can have a relationship with God the Father. A person speaking by the Spirit will not contradict the Scripture. And this is important to know. When you hear people, when you hear a person speaking from a pulpit, or you hear someone preaching, recognize that the things that they are saying need to line up with the revealed word of God, that it would not be a contradiction. If it is a contradiction, know that these things are not true. Someone speaking by the Spirit of God cannot call Jesus a curse. And no one, it says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit bears witness of itself. The Spirit bears witness of of Christ and who he is. Sorry, I need some more light. But we, we, I say all this just to, to point out that we need to judge things. We judge the things that we hear and how they relate to Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus made it plain when he said, in the, by the Holy, he said uh, when the Holy Spirit would come, that he would testify me. He said that in John 15, 26. And he said that he would glorify me. The Spirit would glorify him. And that he will take what is mine and will declare it to you in John, 4, uh, John 6, 14. That the Spirit would do these things. The Spirit would testify of Jesus. The Spirit would glorify Jesus. And the Spirit would take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit would take the word of God and make it known to you. These are the works of the Spirit. So let's continue on as we go through this chapter. He says that there are diversities of gifts. In verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are uh, diversities of of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And stop there. So we see in verse 4, it says that there are diversities of gifts. So now he's implicitly talking about gifts here. 
saying that there are many gifts. There are different gifts. But one thing he points out is there's this, but, it's, but there are the same spirit. Verse 5, he says there are different of ministries. There are different types of ministries, different types of services or, or works that we can do by the spirit. But again, he says, but it's by the same Lord. And again, he says there are diversities of activities. There's different things that we do. But it's the same God who works all in all. And if we look at just those three verses, the last section of each of those verses, it almost mirrors itself. But the first one in verse 4 says, but the same spirit. Verse 5 says the same Lord. And verse 6 says the same God. So, I mean, I don't want to stretch it too much, but I believe here we see evidence for the Trinity. You see the spirit. You see God or the Lord, Jesus. And then you see God, God the Father. So, I mean, just a kind of a, a side note, but he's, he's pointing out the fact that there are differences. There may be multiple different ministries or multiple different gifts or multiple, um, multiple activities, but it's the same God who works in all. It's the same God. When we look at the things that we're involved in, whether when it comes to ministry, when it comes to serving in church, there's, there's so many different ministries to be involved in. It's not always just the, the teaching ministry. Just because people see the, the teacher or the pastor, that's not the only ministry. There's several other ministries. There's prayer. There's, there's just, you see the ushers working at the church. You see the parking lot people working at the church. You see people that would just have the, the gift of hospitality, that would invite people into their house. You have people that, that would just be welcoming, that would stand at the front door of the church and just shake hands all morning and smile. There are many different uh, ministries, and God would use each and every one of us to fulfill one of those ministries if we would make ourselves available to him. It's the same God who wants to work in each and every one of you. I love the fact that we were all created different. I mean, I go to Harvest Christian Fellowship, and if you look at the church as a whole, you see a broad spectrum of, of, of different type of people. You see like the, the, you see the white-collar workers. You see just the, the the hard workers are people that are, are in the construction industry. You see people that don't even have jobs. You see black people, white people, Mexican people. It's a diversity. It's, it's, it's different all across the board, but it's the same God who works in all. The same God who is glorified through all. I mean, I love just, just serving alongside different people and seeing how, how God would work things out, the different ministries. I mean, we look at even the ministry that happens here tonight. I mean, you had Brian up here, April up here, Jameson and Matt using their gifts that God has given them uh, musically to glorify God. And then you got Rob, he, he's serving in the ministry, recording everything and doing all the technical aspects. There's different ministries. I mean, just if you're not involved in ministry, ask God, where would he want you to be at? Where would he want you to serve? How would he want you to be used to glorify him? It's the same God that works all and in all. Now, it says uh, also in, in verse 7, it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, we read in, in verse 7, the, the manifestation. In words, it sounds like a fancy word. But it simply means to, it's at its truest meaning, to manifest means to, to uncover, to reveal. So these, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. And there's some that, that would say that, you know, I don't know if I have, you know, a spiritual gift or if I'm, if I'm blessed with God in that area to serve or to do ministry. Nope. If you read this verse here, it says that the manifestation is given to each one. It's given to each one, to each believer. If you're a believer, 
You have the ability to, to be used of God. You have the ability to, to serve God. The manifestation of the Spirit, the revealing of the, of the Spirit, is given to each one for the profit of all. And why does God allow us to be used? I mean, I ask myself that some, every time I get up here. It's like, why, why would you want to use me, God? Why would you want to use me? Why would you want to use any of us? We're all sinful human beings. But God, he uses us for the profit of all, for the profit of the body, for, the, for his glory primarily, so that he would receive glory, that he would be glorified through our works, through our ministry, through the gifts that he's allowed us to have and allowed the spirit to manifest us in a certain way so that he would receive glory. He says that, that the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. When you're used in ministry, when, when God would call you to do something, it's not for, you know, for your own profit, your own financial gain, or so that you can you know, rub shell, uh, elbows with the pastor or that you can network and get in the church and you know, branch out a little bit, expand your business. It's not for that purpose. It's not for that profit. It's not for the profit of gaining friends or, or making new relationships. Yeah, that's a benefit of being a part of the body of Christ, of being a, in fellowship, but that's not what, what you were made for. You were made, for, you were made to glorify God. And you're called of God to be used for the profit of all, for the profit of your brother, for the profit of your sister. We are called to, to, to ministry. We're called to glorify God. Let's continue and see what God is, is, is allowed available to us as far as the spiritual gifts are concerned or manifestations of the gifts. In verse 8, we read, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretations of, of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we see the different manifestations of the Spirit. And like I said, all believers, all believers, every believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit with spirit, certain spiritual gifts. Here we see the manifestations of them or the, the allowing of the Spirit to, to make these things known or to make these things or to reveal these things or to uncover these, these special workings of the Spirit. When it comes to spiritual gifts, a good place to look for a list of spiritual gifts is, is Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 lists, lists the, the spiritual gifts that are available to the church. And these that we read here are, are gifts that God would, would give the church in special instances to manifest himself as God, to manifest himself as, as the creator of the universe, to, to be who he is, or to, to I guess, I don't want to say, to, to, to make valid who he is by the working of the spirit and he doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things verse 8 says for one is given the word of wisdom so what is the word of wisdom the word of wisdom is is just a, a supernatural wisdom that is given to solve a problem or a situation practically a word of wisdom i mean this would be a manifestation and again these like i said are a manifestation these are gifts given of god an example if we find in scripture is in, in John 8, when, uh, when the woman who was caught in adultery was, was brought to Jesus. Remember, they brought this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they say, 
And what should we do with her? She was caught in adultery. They're trying to catch him up. But Jesus, using wisdom, what does he respond? He says, he says, you who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all walk away. He used practical wisdom in, in that sense to, to dissolve, or dissolve that, that conflict or dissolve that problem or to solve the problem. He used wisdom. I mean, another way that I've seen just practically happen, even in my own life, I don't know if you, how many of you guys went to the well Christmas dinner, but we had the, the, uh, the gym. It was packed, and we had a bunch of people. We had a bunch of tables laid out. And uh, just seeing the, the, the working of the Spirit even in this, it just practically, it wasn't like a, a big dramatic thing, but uh, we get out, we're going to set up for communion. And uh, Brian's right there with me, and Brian's overseeing everything, and him using his gift of administration, he's like, uh, we got to figure out how we're going to do this, how we can do it effectively, how we can get communion to every table and in, a, in a timely manner and that everyone gets it evenly. So he's like, Aaron, uh, just draw it out real quick. You're, you're good at doing that. And I don't know how. I don't know why. Like, I just, I just seen that it was like there was a number of rows. I didn't know how to divide it. But I just somehow I just got a, a word of wisdom to solve the situation practically. And we worked it out. And it worked out perfectly. And it was no, no reason to, or no credit due to myself. It was just a word of wisdom, a practical way to, to solve that problem, a practical way to work it out. The community elements got distributed evenly. It, everyone came to the same spot at the same time. And it worked out perfectly. It was just a word of wisdom. I was surprised at myself, like, wow, that was interesting. I didn't know how I could do that. But it's a manifestation of the Spirit, and God gets the glory for it. Why? For the edification of the church, for the building and for the encouragement of the church. Not so that I can profit for it, but so that the church would be built up and the church would function correctly. Next, he says, there's the, uh, after the, the word of wisdom, that there is the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. The word of knowledge. The word of knowledge a supernatural knowledge that is uh, relevant to understanding a situation. And this happens, again, as at random times. It's not like you can call on this and you can walk into you know, a casino like, oh, I want to use my word of knowledge right now and I'm going to win. No, the word of knowledge is given by the Spirit for the edification of the church, for the edification of the body. The word of knowledge is, like I said, a supernatural knowledge relevant to understanding a situation. And another example of this we see in Scripture is Jesus with the woman at the well. And he's talking to this woman. She's going on about, you know, all these things and, and how to understand. A, or She's just having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus, all of a sudden, he says, you know, she says, uh, go grab. He asked her to go grab her husband. And she says, I have no husband. He says, you said rightly because you have had five husbands and the one you live with now is not your husband. How did he know that? He never he just barely met this woman. He received a, a word of knowledge. And you see that happen sometimes practically in the lives of Christians. I've heard stories of, of brothers or sisters that well, the Lord will just reveal something to them. As they're conversing or as they're ministering to someone, they'll just receive a truth about the individual pertaining to the situation, a word of knowledge. Again, not for the, the own person's glory, but for the edification, for the encouragement, for the correction of another, for the edification of the body. Another gift or manifestation of the gift we see is, is the, the gift of faith. It says in verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Faith. What's the gift of faith? The gift of faith would be the ability to step out in response to the leading of the spirit, to do something that you may have not done. Faith, to step out. I mean, we look at in Scripture again, in Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Remember that Peter was walking in the temple to pray. There was a lame man sitting on the steps. It says that looking at him, seeing that he had enough faith to be healed, he said to him, um, 
Silver and gold have I not, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The man jumps up and walks. He had faith, a supernatural faith, uh, an extra, extra amount of faith, if you if. I mean, if I could say that. I mean, all believers are given faith. Faith is what allows us to, to be saved. We are saved through faith, by grace. We are saved by faith, but an extra measure of faith would be demonstrated to do this, for this lame man to rise up and walk. Again, so that he was leaping and he was singing of the praises and the glories of God, of how God was glorified in that situation. Another gift as we continue in verse Verse 9, to another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Now, this is a, a manifestation of a gift that a lot of people have, you see on TV, and they take it to an extreme to where it's, I want to say, unbiblical. The gift of healings. And notice that it doesn't say gift of healings, that this person has a gift of healings that they, can, they would possess, or possess and, and just exercise at any time, not for the profit of himself again, but for the profit of all. But it says gifts gifts of healings, that at some time that the Lord would choose to work through an individual, that the, cho- the Lord would choose to, to work through even the prayers of a, of a certain believer to heal somebody. And we pray for healing for our brother Mike, that the Lord would hear our prayers and act, and that he would heal. Again, not for, for our own glory, so that we can say, oh, we as a Bible study, we, we prayed for Mike and he got healed. No, so that God could be glorified, so that the unbeliever would see the situation and say, man, God is real. I need to know this God. Who is this God that you pray to? Who is this God that you seek? Who is this God who is the source of your power and the source of your life, the source of your peace? The purpose of of all gifts, again, is to glorify God and to to build up the church, to encourage, to edify. We continue in another gift in verse 10. And to another, the working of miracles. Verse 10, the working of miracles. So what are the working of miracles? The working of miracles, divine acts contrary to, to, to nature. When the Holy Spirit almost chooses to override the natural, uh, natural laws of, of nature. What would this look like? Or what would this be? It's just when the Lord would, would choose to, to supernaturally intercede and, and to allow something miraculous to happen. Why? So that he would be glorified. I mean, a lot of times people look for miracles like, man... There's a, the non-believer will say plenty of times, you know, if I just seen a miracle, you know, I would, I would believe and, you know, I would trust God. Then their faith isn't, isn't founded on, their faith really isn't faith because they're seeing the things that they, that they would believe in. We as believers, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And the miracle is that he would save us, that he would save us in a sinful state, that a sinless man would die for us so that we can have salvation, so that we can have fellowship with God. We see miracles oftentimes, and we just overlook them. I mean, we, we see miracles, but they don't seem to be miracles to us because they just seem so modern day or they seem so practical. God works in miraculous ways. I see miracles happen in my life all the time. There's times where I'll be at work, and like I'm, I'm counting certain things, and I'm like, man, if this number is off just, just, one, just by one number, it can throw everything off. And by God's grace and by his working, it just works out perfectly. Like, how do you explain that? I mean... You can explain it practically and try to, you know, analyze it and overanalyze it. But God worked in that situation. In my mind, I know that he worked. My God is sovereign. My God is in control of all things. He works miracles. He manifested himself in that so that he can be glorified. The gift of miracles. Next, in verse 10, it says, To another prophecy, 
to another prophecy, speaking forth the mind of and counsel of God. Prophecy, that's what, how it's defined. Another way we can just define it is, is allow Scripture to define it. If you'll turn with me a couple chapters forward to verse, or chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, and just read with me in verse 3. It says, regarding prophecy in verse 3, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophecy is for what? For the exhortation and for an edification and exhortation and comfort. This is what the gift of prophecy would be, to, to exhort and to comfort and to edify the body. Speaking of the whole counsel of God's word, prophecy simply means to bring forth God's word. And we'll, we'll get into more of a, a prophecy in a second. But let's address the, the next one. It be discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits in verse, uh, in verse 10. Discerning of spirits, which would be just the, the ability to recognize lying spirits and, and false doctrine. I mean, we see this in, uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, with the situation of Ananias and Sapphira. When they, they say that they, uh, they sold their land for, you know, such and such amount of money, and they say that they laid it all before the apostles' feet. But then, as they come before the apostles, it says, you know, why have you conceived in your heart to, to lie to the Holy Spirit? Um, you have not lied to God, but, or not lied to men, but you have lied to God. This was a, an exercise of, of the discerning of the Spirit, that, that Peter would be able to, uh, to discern that this person was coming to them and lying. I mean... I can't say that I've ever experienced. There's times when, uh, you know, you'll be walking out of a grocery store or something like that, and somebody hits you up for some money, like, hey, you know, I need money for this and this and that. Sometimes it's just a supernatural understanding of, of that person's spirit. You know that they don't need money. You just, you know, I, I can't help you. Or maybe it's just the Lord puts it on your heart, like this person really needs it. And you come out of your pocket and you bless them with whatever you can, and you do it in Jesus' name. Why? For the glory, for the glory of God, so that God would be glorified. You would be able to discern spirits so that, that God would be glorified. Again, Paul, in Acts chapter 16, there was a, a demon-possessed girl that was traveling around, and, and she was basically declaring that, that Paul was a prophet, that he was speaking the oracles of God. And Paul, he recognized that, that there was a, an evil spirit in her, and he turned around and cast it out. He cast out the, the demon out of the, the girl. How? He recognized that, that she had a, a false spirit in her, an evil spirit. She, he had the discerning of spirits. Exercising that give. And we continue into verse, uh, verse 10. And it says, To another, different kinds of tongues. Different kinds of tongues. Now this is an interesting gift that is, is debated a lot in the church. Some say that it's you know, not available to the church. And some say you know, that it is. And some use it and some overuse it. How, what is tongues? Tongues is... is is primarily for the communication with God, for a believer between God and the believer, a communication, a communication language. Again, like I said, we'll be turning back to Acts chapter 14. Let's turn back there now. And in verse 2, we see Paul further explaining the gift of tongues. He says in verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So we see that when a man speaks in a tongue, he speaks to God. He doesn't speak to men, he speaks to God. And what, what, is, uh, what happens when a man speaks in tongues? He says that there needs to be an, inter- an interpretation of tongues. And that's the next thing that we read of it in 1 Corinthians, is uh, the interpretation of tongues, which means that a person would give the uh, interpretation in an ordinary language of what was said. And we see that in 
1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. In verse 5, it says, um, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Again, these gifts or these manifestations of the Holy Spirit are given to the church for the edification and for the encouragement and for the building up of the church, for the building up of believers. I mean, about spiritual gifts as a whole, Paul addresses that all in in chapter 14. Matter of fact, let's just read verse 1. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. We should desire these things, but especially that you would prophesy. Remember, we talked about prophecy as being speaking forth the mind and counsel of God. And then we speak see tongues as, as a man speaking to God. And these two, these two gifts or these two manifestations of the Spirit were, were debated or had, they were, the church at Corinth had questions on these. And Paul, he addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 14. And let's, as a matter of fact, just read verses 22 to 25, if you would, with me. In 22, he says, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for, un- not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there, are, and there, are, and there come in those who are un- uninformed or unbelievers, they will, not, will they not say that you are out of your mind? So if we're in a place and everyone was, pro- or everyone was speaking in tongues and an uninformed person or an unbeliever walks in, it says that, Paul says, would they not say that you're all out of your mind? Wouldn't they think that you're all crazy? Verse 24 says, but if all prophesy, if all are speaking the truth of God, or if all are, are speaking forth the mind and counsel of God, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. And thus the secret of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That, will, that is what we desire to happen. I mean, when we come into fellowship here and, and after the Bible study, we break up and we chit-chat and we talk. It's not, you know, we're all speaking in tongues. I pray that it's all that we're prophesying, that we're all speaking the truth of God, that we're all speaking the truth of what God has revealed to us even in this Bible study or even in your own personal Bible study or your devotions. So that if an uninformed person would come in here or an unbeliever would come in here, that they would be convinced by our conversation, that they would be convicted by the words that come out of our mouth. And that they would fall on their face and they would repent of their sins. That they would turn to the living God. And that they would know that God is truly among us. That they would know that, that God is with us. That God has made himself manifest through us. Through the gifts that he's, endowed, that he's promised to us. Through the manifestations of the Spirit. And let's go back to, uh, to verse, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 11, it says, But one... And the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, recognize again that there's many different gifts. And we read of like at least nine here or manifestations of the Spirit. But there is one God. It's the same Spirit that, that these gifts are used by. These gifts are used by the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that he's given to each and every believer. These things are used, why? For the, for the glory of, of himself, for the edification of the church, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would be built up together as a body, so that we would draw closer to God, so that we would know him better, that we would see people repent of their sins, 
and that the kingdom of God would be expanded and grown. It says that there is one and the same spirit that works in all these things, distributing to each one individually. Again, individually, each one of you have the promise of God that that he would distribute to you a measure of his spirit, that he would work through you, that you would be used by him for his glory to each one of us. Not that we would seek gifts and use these gifts for ourselves or that we would be seen as some holy people or, you know, that that good Christian guy or, oh, man, that, that, that guy's really on fire. He speaks in tongues like crazy. No, we would desire spiritual gifts so that God would be glorified and that he would, it says that he distributes them to us as he wills. Not that we can pick and choose what spiritual, oh, you know, I think I'm going to use, you know, the gift of prophecy today. Or I think I'm going to use the, the, the gift of knowledge or word of wisdom today. I just want to know about that person's business. So word of wisdom. No. It says that they're distributed to us as God wills for his glory, for the edification of the church. So that we would be built up, so that we would be encouraged. Not for our own profit. Not for our own, our own pride or our own egos, but for God and his glory. And now Paul, he continues to talk about spirituals or spiritual things as he moves into verse 12. And let's read verse 12. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ." For by one spirit, we were all baptized into, the, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink in one spirit. Let's stop there. So Paul, like I said, continues in spirituals, and he starts to talk about, about the church, about the body. And he uses the illustration of a body to represent the church Man, it's, it's one of the, the greatest illustrations he could have used. I mean, I'm sure he was exercising a, a word of knowledge here. He was being used of the Spirit to, to, to give this practical illustration that a body, a human body, has many members, but it's still one body. There's many different parts to our bodies. There's many different organs, many different functions that the body even has, but it's still one body. He says that we, being many, are also one body, and so is Christ. And it says, for by one spirit, in verse 13, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Greeks or whether Jews or Greeks and whether slaves are free, we've all been to made to drink of the same spirit. We've been all been made to drink of the same spirit. What does it mean for us to be baptized into one body? The word baptized simply means to be immersed. So it's not talking about some, some crazy baptism or the, the baptism that we do you know, after a Sunday service or something like that, which would represent, uh, which would be a, an outward expression of an inward action of us identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is, simply means that we are immersed, a word that we're all, as individuals, have all been placed into the body of Christ, that we were all baptized into one body, regardless whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and that we've all been made to drink of, of one spirit. We've all been given one spirit. If you guys remember, you know, the woman at the well, and Jesus was talking to her again. He uh, talks to her in John 4, and he says that whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water, but the water that I shall come in him or give to him shall become in him a fountain of living water. That's the water that we drink from. The spirit that we drink from is living water, that, that we are, are baptized, and we all have the same spirit. We all are, are immersed in the same spirit, that we are one body. 
In verse 14, let's continue. He says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it, there not of, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it, not, is it therefore not of the body? So what it's saying here, he's using these, these, these members, these illustrations here to say, should the hand say to the foot that, you know, just because I'm not a foot, I'm not a body, I'm not part of the body? No, it's not, it's not, it's not to say that. The body works in conjunction, the water, body works together. If the whole body, in verse 17 says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them in in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And or again, the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or, or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Paul here and just, again, gives another illustration of the body. And he goes through, and he's just breaking down the, just the, the picture of, of us as the church. The church is the body. The church is not the building. The church is not the place you go on Sunday morning. The, place, uh, the church is not the place that, that we all gather the, between the walls and sit in the pews. The church is the body. The church is the fellowship of believers. And here we're portrayed as the body of Christ. It says that, that we're all created equally. I mean, you may be an eye, I may be a foot, he may be a hand, but we all have a function. We all have a purpose in the body. And he's, the, the Bible says here in verse 18, Paul says that God has set us in the body. He set us in the church just as he pleased for his glory. He set us in there in a way that would please us. I thank God for, for the people that he's placed around me and just to see the way he allows ministry to take place. That even this Bible study, that he worked out perfectly the, the right people to play worship, the right people to, to control the technology, the right people, well, sometimes the right person to get up and speak. The, the Lord allows this to take place. The Lord allows the body to function in a way that would glorify him, in a way that would please him. Remember that we're all one body. And again, in verse 21, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. We as a body, we as believers, as individuals, should never look at the next man or the next woman and say, you know, I don't have need of them. Or, you know, you know I, I, I don't need to be at church or I don't need to be in fellowship. We are all members. We're all, in de- we are all dependent on each other. If we were missing a part, we wouldn't be able to function as well. Just think about it. If you've seen a person without a foot, they wouldn't be able to walk as well as a person that had two feet. If you see a person without eyes, they wouldn't be able to function as well as a person with eyes. Each one of you are a part of the body. Each one of you are a part. So when we're together, we can function properly. This should encourage you to be in fellowship. This should encourage you to, to be at church and to be in tight fellowship so that you would be able to function, so that the body of Christ would be able to function, so that God would be glorified. It says that, that these, the, 
even though there's a, a member, say you may not be the pastor, you may not be the teacher. Just because you may not have a place of prominence as far as the man or the world is concerned or the church is concerned or even the eyes of man are concerned doesn't mean that you're not necessary to the body. It's often those parts that we don't see that are the most most important. We don't see the heart, but the heart is very important. If you don't have a heart, you're not going to be able to live. Just because you may be serving the Lord in a a hidden ministry or something that's not so seen by, by men doesn't mean that it's not necessary or that it's not important. God sees. Do your work as unto the Lord to glorify him. Let's continue into to verse 27. It says, now, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. So we see here that Paul, he points out the fact that, that we're the body of Christ and that we are members, individual. Although we are one body, we are individual members. And then within that, that the, the, the idea of church, God has appointed a, an order. God has appointed these things. He's appointed, in a sense, a, a church government. Uh, first, it says that there are apostles. The apostles, we see the, the 12 apostles, they laid the foundation for the church. They were the overseers of the church. Excuse me. Then you got the prophets. The prophets, those who proclaim the, the truth of God's word, who reveal God's mind and his heart. And then you have teachers. Those are people that are able to uh, exhort and to teach and encourage and instruct people out of the word of God. Not limited just to pastors, or, but also to the person, to the old woman who was able to, to guide a young woman into how to love her family and how to care for her husband. She's able to teach from the word of God principles. She's a teacher as well. But God has set this, this form of government up. And then it says, and then after that, miracles, the gifts of, of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. All these things are given for the edification of the church, for the order of the church, so that God would be glorified, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would draw closer to God in this relationship. In closing out, he says in verse 29, are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The, question is no, or the answer is no. Not everybody can do all things. You cannot do all things. Something that the Lord has shown me plenty of times. I cannot do everything. Sometimes, I mean, I just got that mentality. Like, I'm a basketball player. I'm a point guard. I, I'm all over the court. I do different things. Like, I always try to control the tempo of the game. I try to get the passes to the right person. And I take that mindset sometimes to the church. And, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do this. I need to do that. If I don't do it, then it's not going to get done right. It's not the case. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He chooses to use us for his glory. So don't think that, that you are required to do every single task. Do what God has called you to do and do it well. You're not all called to do every single thing, but you all have been called to, to do something. So don't just sit and be a consumer of ministry, always, always just consuming the word of God and being a hearer, like Matt was saying earlier, but that we would be doers, that we would take the, the spiritual truth that God has given us, that we would take the understanding, that we would take the wisdom that we gain, and that we would use it in the service of his, uh, of his church, of the kingdom of God, and that we would glorify him. That we would use our gifts, use our, our, our abilities for God's glory.
And in verse 31, he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and I show you a more excellent way. And he leads into next, or tomorrow's chapter, the next chapter, which would be first, or chapter uh, 13, which a lot of people know as the love chapter. He says that he desires that we would desire the best gifts. We should desire spiritual gifts. We should desire this, the, the working of God's spirit in our lives. It's not a bad thing to desire spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your, your gift is or what God has called you to, pray. Ask him to reveal it to you. It's not like he's not going to reveal it to you, like he doesn't want you to know. It's like, oh, just figure it out. Ha, ha, ha. No, God wants you to be used. He wants to be used for, for his glory. That's what you were created for, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to his authority. Submit yourself to his word. And as you dedicate yourself to reading it, and I pray that you would read it every single day, that you would ask God to reveal something to you, that he would reveal his truth to you, that he would manifest his spirit in your life, so that you would be able to be a prophet to the church, that you would be able to benefit those who are around you, that you'd be able to encourage, that you'd be able to, to edify and build up and comfort, that you would bring him glory, and that you would continue this, to do these things and to grow in these things every single day, and that you would always draw closer to God as we wait for his return. But be busy about the Lord's work. Glorify him in whatever he's called you to. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you would even use me. Lord, that, that you would allow me to be behind this microphone. Lord, I thank you so much that, that you sent your son to deliver me from a life of, of sin, a life that was leading to hell. Lord, and that you've given me forgiveness, that you've given me the hope of heaven. And not only that, Lord, you've given me so much more. You've given me this life and that abundantly. Lord, and I pray for all these here that they would recognize that truth, that they have this life. They have the, the opportunities that you present to them. Lord, I pray that each one in this room would take advantage of the opportunities. They would take advantage of the ministry that you place in front of them. Lord, that you would reveal to people, even tonight, what you have called them to that you would reveal to them their spiritual gift and that they would exercise it, not for their own glory, Lord, but for your glory, so that your church would be built up, so that your kingdom would be expanded, so that people would come to know you in a saving way. Lord, I pray that, that these words that were spoken tonight, Lord, if, if there's anything that's just unclear, Lord, that you would clear it up, that you would allow your spirit to work in the hearts and the minds of these here, and that it would bring clarity, Lord, and that we would submit ourselves to you, we would submit ourselves to your word, and that we would seek to glorify you every day. God, we thank you for this time here. I thank you for just this ministry that takes place here, Lord. I pray that you would continue it and continue ministry to happen even after we finish tonight. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.